Well, we thank Henry for stepping into uh, the breach today. Uh, the Ernestes are gone visiting Susan's uh, mother for this Mother's Day. I remember several years ago, uh, a, a woman uh, in our church had a daughter who married a, an Episcopal priest, and she said, well, great, this means my daughter will never come to see me on Mother's Day again. And I said, do you want to think about that just for a minute? Where do you think my mother is today? And, oh, well, oh, I didn't even think about that. And I thought, no, you probably didn't. But it is hard for ministers oftentimes to do many of the traditional things. And so we're glad that they have this opportunity to, to do that today. And thank you, Henry. Your role. Well, Joshua appears out of nowhere in the biblical history. I mean, one time there's no mention of him, and then he is right in there with Moses near the end of Moses' life. And he eventually ascends to command of the armies of Israel after Moses disappears from the scene, and it is, it is Joshua who takes the people from the edge of the promised land and goes through the land of Canaan. That's the generic term at the time. The land of Canaan to conquer that country that was uh, once given to their ancestor Abraham. And this is, it falls to him to lead the army to come in and to secure the land so that the, the promise is once again Secure. Now he may appear out of nowhere and with no fanfare, but because of his life and his triumphs, he makes quite the impression. Every enemy they face is defeated, and when he comes to the end of his career and service of the people, uh, all the enemies have either been dispatched, if you understand what I mean, or they have stolen from the field, or they have bowed their knees, and they all promise to worship the God of Israel. But Joshua recognizes that even though the armies have been defeated and the weapons have been laid down, that there is still a very significant enemy that could defeat them. And so when he comes to the end, he gives this speech, much like Washington's farewell speech to his troops or MacArthur, when he uh, talked about old soldiers never die, they just fade away. This is Joshua's message to the people. And in the verses immediately before what David read for us is a, a passage that is very familiar to most of us, in which uh, Joshua says to the people, you're going to have to choose which gods you want to worship, whether the ones uh, before we got here or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. From victory to victory, he has gotten them there. And now he says there is one great enemy that could still defeat them. Excuse me. <clears throat> In the passages that David read, he keeps coming back to the people and saying, 
you know, you need to take the gods of these people and take them away from you. You need to take this culture and remove yourself from it. Because he knows even though the armies have been defeated, the people, the Canaanites, still live there. They will be uh, trading with them in the village. Their children will be going to school with them. Their uh, young adults will be intermarrying. We see that in the book of Judges almost immediately. People get together and they don't think about those things when that time comes. And what he is, what Joshua is telling the people is that the culture, the culture of the Canaanites will be against you. The virtues, the values, and the worship of their gods will come and weave its way into your lives, and it will not be good for you. And you'll never even notice. Just one day, it'll just be there in your home because you have not separated yourself. Culture, the culture we live in is like the air we breathe or it's like, it's like the water that a fish swims in. There's an old joke about big fish, older fish, little young fish, and little fish swims by and the old fish says, how do you like the water? And the little fish says, what's water? You know, you're just there. It's just part of the life that you are in. And what I would suggest to you today is even though most of us, when we hear about this verse and we feel like, well, yes, of course, we serve the Lord. Um, I mean, the minister could even finish and uh, we could sing that hymn and go and beat a lot of people to the restaurants, take our mamas out to eat today if he would just stop. But I'm not stopping because it is what is in the culture that we don't pay any attention to that is the most dangerous to us. We could all think very smugly, well, I don't go see those movies. I don't have any of that activity in my home. All the traditional things that we bring up when we want to talk about uh, what is challenging us in this country. But I want to tell you that some of the things that are the most challenging that insinuate themselves in between us and particularly between our children and the worship of God as revealed by Jesus Christ are things that we have uh, almost become convinced are good for our children. Let me give you, I'll only give two examples on this. You can count them just to make sure I'm not going over. But uh, the first, I'll introduce by Several years ago, when I was pastoring in Rome, um, they introduced an ordinance where you could sell liquor by the drink on Sunday, and I was asked for a quote. Uh, well, what do you think? Uh, what's this going to do to your congregation? And I, I said, well, I think I lose a lot more families to Sunday travel ball than I do to liquor by the drink. And it wasn't popular with either side of, the, of that uh, argument. It wasn't popular with the people who wanted me to oppose it, which I wasn't going to advocate for it. But it wasn't popular with uh, families that I love very dearly. 
But I have been the father and I'm now the grandfather of kids who participate in travel ball. And I will tell you, the challenge is to understand how that works against the development of faith. Because if all we do is remove our children from the the activities that they grew up in as small children and take them out and never replace it, the opportunity to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ is diminished. And I know this to be true because I've observed it for decades now. And what we must do if we want to remove our children from church, I mean, I've had parents say, we'll be back in six months. And you think about how much they're getting of everything else and how little they're getting of anything that uh, remotely looks like Christian discipleship in their life. How can you compete against the values of the culture? But we need to be able to teach them at home things like, can you say the Lord's Prayer? Can you find the Lord's Prayer in the Bible? Could you quote the 23rd Psalm? Could you find the book of Psalms? Do you know what the Gospels are? Could you find the Gospels if you wanted to look up a passage? And more and more what I find is that this basic knowledge of things that are so foundational to our faith are mysteries to children who have been taken away from church for what is deemed to be something really, really good in their lives. Now, I also had an eye-awakening or eye-opening experience yesterday uh, watching a seven-year-old soccer waiting on nine-year-old soccer. And I was talking to uh, the nine-year-old, and she was talking about how she wanted, she liked to play on the other side of the field from where we were sitting. And I said, well, what difference does it make? And she said, the parents aren't over there. And I said, okay, and what is it about playing down the sideline where the parents are that bother you? And she said, well, that team we played last week, she said uh, the parents, you know, she was going for the ball, and she said they kept saying, you're better than she is. Don't let her get that ball. Don't let her beat you. Who is she? This is not Olympic soccer. This is nine-year-old soccer. And the culture around it in which parents would berate the children from another team, that's not good for our children. Not only are we taking them away from something that is good, but we're replacing it with what I have experienced as often questionable conduct. We say sports build character, builds character. It ought to begin with the families that go watch their children. The next thing I'll mention just briefly is the digital world in which we live. Statistics show that nine minutes, nine minutes of a toddler watching SpongeBob SquarePants diminishes the night or the priest the, the toddler's ability to complete simple instructions there's also evidence that the more screen time children have 
the more the physiological nature of their brain, I mean, their brain is changing physically, the more it begins to look like physiological changes in adults with borderline personality disorders. That's statistics. I also know that there's a now uh, very much a correlation that people are finding between depression in teenage girls and the amount of exposure to Instagram. Facebook owns Instagram, if you didn't know that. And do you know Facebook's solution for this? They're creating an, a messenger app for preteens. The digital world is not your child's friend. And this is what we so often defer to, to help keep our children occupied or to make our children happy. I mean, all my grandkids, and the youngest are seven, they all want a phone. But are we really doing them the right thing? It is in the culture. I've got mine. It's hard for me to look away from my phone. But the culture's not in their favor. And if you think about the number of hours of screen time that many children have, how much of that involves being discipled in the nature of Jesus Christ. And if we stop and think about all the hours of things that take our children away, that block our children from hearing the message of who Christ is and what Christ teaches and why it is vital to know Jesus Christ, when does that ever get replaced? You know, all of these things have good sides. And they're all people who, great people participate in these things. But when we do it without paying close attention and we allow it to move into first place in our children's lives, we have to really ask, who are we serving? Who are we serving and how will our children ever grow up to serve the God that we serve if we are not doing something intentional to replace what they're missing because of these things. So I would just simply encourage you, if your children participate in Sunday sports teams, find a way. Find a way to be committed to teaching your children the things of the faith that are important to you. If your children are addicted to screens, I would say, first, stop and do some self-examination because it's very hard sometimes for a child to get our attention because we don't want to look up either. And think about what else could be put in that place or what must I do to teach the things of the faith to my children? Because when we do those things intentionally, then maybe we're living up to the claim of Joshua. And it's not just something that appears on a magnet or a needlepoint or a bumper sticker, but we really are serving the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our good and gracious Father, we thank you for placing us together in families. We thank you for the strength that comes from being in close proximity to being cared by unconditionally by others. 
And we pray that we would not let the opportunities to influence our children in your favor slip away from us. Teach us as parents, as grandparents, as interested adults, what we might do. And convict us of the need to disciple the little ones. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.